And as we decide to follow Jesus, there is no doubt that you will be tempted along the way. And temptations can come in all different shapes, all different sizes, and all different ways. And so we're going to look exactly at one of the miraculous truths of Jesus Christ today. The God becoming man became flesh and dwelt among us, and he too was tempted. He understands what we go through when we're tempted. And he not only lived it, but he was victorious over it and says that we can be as well. And so that's what we're going to look at today. I'd like you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. And I'm going to read to you. You can follow along. I don't have it on the screen. I apologize for that. But this is the temptation of Jesus, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Many of you are very familiar with the story, and I hope today we'll look at it a little bit differently uh, and apply it to our lives. So let's pray. Lord, it is so good to know that you're working. We thank you for bringing Dr. Qureshi and for how he challenged our hearts last week. We thank you more than that for your word that works mightily, that transforms our hearts, that guides how we live and act. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit that is here to convict us, to teach us, to guide us as we follow you. And Lord, as we've already done, we thank you for Jesus Christ who made a way that we can have this conversation with you right now and that we can do that for all eternity that you've brought us into union with yourself through your son, Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord. In your name I pray. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11 says this. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand in the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift up, lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him. It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came. And attended him. Lord, guide us as we seek your word today. Not so long ago, uh, a, a group of social psychiatrists got together and wanted to study the concept of temptation. And if you know anything about social psychology, they can be mean. They'll do experiments that get us to try things and do things in all sorts of ways. So what they did for this particular experiment is they grabbed a good s- sample of three to five-year-olds. And one by one, they would bring them into a room with a table. And one by one, a a, a nice woman or man would walk in with one marshmallow and hand it to them and say, here's a marshmallow for you. If you can wait until I come back, I'll give you another one. Or you can eat just this one now and that will be all. And so that's what they did. One by one, a, a lady or a man would come into the room and give them a marshmallow. And then they would go out for anywhere between one minute and 10 minutes 
to see what the children would do as they wrestled with the choice before them. And, and there's even video of this study, and it's brilliant because you see kids just fidgeting around. You see them trying to take little bites so that they wouldn't get caught and trying to put the marshmallow back together. You see others just looking at it, sitting on their hands, trying not to touch it. They know they want to, but one is right in front of them. And then you see just those couple few that just sit like this. And then one by one you come in or you watch a little more of the video, the time-lapse video, and you see some just... And then they look around like, did anybody see me? And sadly, the, you know, the evidence is in the lack of marshmallow. Of course we know. And over the course of the test, what do you think the results were? Most of the kids did, in fact, eat the one marshmallow. Because what is right in front of us looks so much better than anything we would have to wait for, doesn't it? That's a big reason why credit cards exist, does it not? What's right in front of us right now could be had with just a little bit of interest, say 20, 30% or whatever the interest rates are. But you get the idea. We are tempted in all sorts of ways, and we're not so different from children that we want it now. And that's where we find ourselves in the story in Matthew chapter 4. Interestingly, Jesus has just been baptized. If you go over to the Lucan account, uh, also in Luke 4, what you find is Jesus includes the genealogy in between Jesus, or Luke includes the genealogy in between Jesus getting baptized and the temptation, seemingly to connect us to the very truth that Jesus is the Son of God, connected as the King of Israel, and how that all played out. But in any case, we find Jesus here, and let's read the first few verses to get, or let me read you the first couple of verses. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. We don't always like the reality that, that sometimes God allows us to be tested. God doesn't tempt us to do evil, but he does allow testings of our character to happen. You see that throughout scripture. And Jesus was no different. And so the spirit is guiding him and he's following him. And I don't know about you, but as you see in verse 2, it's one of the most wonderfully profound statements of all. And he had fasted for 40 days... And he was hungry. To which I say, duh. He is fully man, right? Now, I don't know about you. I have never tried to fast for 40 days. Uh, I like to hide behind the fact that I do have a stomach condition that makes me guard my, my diet very carefully. But in all reality, if I trusted in the sustenance of God, I'm sure he would get me through it. But 40 days is traditionally seen as just about the longest the human body can go without food before it begins to break down and destroy itself. Okay? Jesus has done this. He has lived for 40 days with no food. Of course he's hungry. As would any of you be. As would I would be. I'm hungry and I fasted through breakfast this morning. So I've got... 39 and three quarters more days to go and I'm already hungry. It's not a good start. But what do we see is, is Satan first tempts Jesus. This is what he says. He says, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, right? The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. 
Satan's not the most creative guy in the world, but he knows a felt need when he sees one. And so he does two things. First, he questions the very identity of Jesus Christ. If you are the son of God. Now go all the way back to the first fall. What does Satan do then? Did God really say this? He seems always to start with, does God really have your best interest in heart? Are you the son of God who you say you are? Is this really true? For us, when we are tempted, Satan's question would look a little different. Are you really adopted into the family of God? Does God really love you? Are you really his child? And sometimes that doubt comes. Sometimes the temptation begins there. I'm not good enough for God. I'm not worthy of him. Well, you're right, you're not. But by what Jesus Christ has done right here at the cross. And so here, the tempter comes to him and says, if you are the son of God, And so that's the first question, identity. Who are you, Jesus? And the second one is, tell these stones to become bread. Meet your own material need that's right in front of you. You can do it. You can go outside of God. You can go outside of how the Holy Spirit has led you. Just do it yourself. If you're the son of God, I mean, obviously you have the power. Therefore, why wouldn't you be able to do this, right? What about us? Temptation doesn't look all that different to us. None of us can claim to be Jesus Christ. But we who have believed on Jesus as our Lord and Savior are members of his family, are we not? Yes. Have we been adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High God? Yes. Is Satan going to do everything he can to cause us to doubt that, to walk away from that truth? Absolutely. He's going to attack you with arrows that question your very identity. Am I his. The real question is then, is God enough? Because what's happening here is you're hungry, Jesus. You could feed yourself now because what if God doesn't? You could feed yourself now with whatever thing looks right in front of you. If you're a married man and you see a beautiful young lady that's offering herself to you, you could have that right now or you could follow the path of marriage that God has laid out for you. If you're at work, you could take that box of paper clips that, you know, are said to be office supplies for the work and you could just take them home and no one would notice. It's a little thing, right? If you're doing your taxes, maybe you donated a little bit extra this year, you know, to make sure your taxes go lower. Whatever makes life more comfortable for us right now, we should do that because right now is what it's all about. The question before Jesus and is often before us is, is God enough? Is his love, his grace sufficient to supply all my needs according to his glorious riches? So the first question, the first type of temptation we see is one that comes to our very identity and to our material needs. Whatever thing we think we want right now. You've been around little kids. What are their, some of their favorite words? No. And then I want. And adults aren't that different. We just have bigger wants, right? The temptation can come in all these different forms. The question becomes, is God's way better than man's way? Is God's way the the long way 
better than what seemingly seems so great right now. That's only one click away on the internet. Oh, it could be so great for that one minute. But then you're left with a lifetime of regret. Satan doesn't stop there. The next one, again, he comes back. If you are the son of God, questioning identity again, then the devil took him to the holy city. That's Jerusalem. Had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Well, I've been tempted in all sorts of ways, And this is one I don't think I've ever been tempted to jump off a building and see if I land on my feet. I do not have any feline blood in me that I am aware of. And I have never, I've done many things that are foolish and jumped off many things on a bike and hiking and whatnot, but I have never felt the need to test God and say, God, you'll catch me. However, have I pushed the boundaries of what I can get away with in my faith? Yeah. God, this is okay, but this isn't. This area right here is that wonderful thing we called a gray area, right? You didn't really mean all of my life. It's okay if I keep this bit over here just for myself. I'll keep this little closet with my dark little secrets all to my own. I'm going to keep control of this part of my life, right? Because, you know, God, you don't need to see what's in there. Satan invites Jesus to test God by saying, God, I'm doing it my way. I'm going to jump off and of course you'll catch me because that's what the Bible says. Now, it's a gross misinterpretation of the scriptures. That's what Satan does. He twisted the scriptures around and Jesus sees through that. And we'll come back to see how Jesus addresses these. But interestingly, time and again, Satan is going to do all he can to look at a good thing and turn it into evil. Turn it into something that pulls you away from your relationship with Jesus Christ. It can be a big thing. It can be a small thing. It can be something that on the front end doesn't look terribly wrong, but is not the best way. And you know it. He's going to do everything he can to put a wedge between you and your spouse, between you and your family. You know what today is? Today's the day where, uh, from what I've read, and if I understand it correctly, you're not supposed to see your family because you would fight with them, right? If you happen to, to practice theology according to Seinfeld, that would be called Festivus. It's the time to air our grievances. A couple of you understood that joke. And for the rest of you, I apologize. It was terrible. But what happens is we begin to think that our way is best and we begin to find ways to compromise our faith saying, God, you didn't really mean this. We might not even say it out loud and sometimes we don't even realize the compromise is coming. We just begin to take shortcuts, right? And those shortcuts, if you're taking a test and you happen to look over and see their answer makes a lot more sense than yours, that's a shortcut. If you're at work and you decide you're just going to, you know, space out and play Minecraft or whatever game is on your office computer for a couple hours, nobody's going to notice. Well, that's true. But the Lord knows your heart. And we've committed to that. We've committed to working hard for the glory of God. If you've made a promise, if you've made a pledge, and then you decide, well, something better came along, whether that pledge is to your wife or your husband and someone better came along, 
or whether you promise to dedicate money to the Lord or to help someone in need. And then the new whatever came out, whether it's a handbag, a phone, a car, a toy. In all these things, we're invited to compromise. We're invited to take control back that we've said, God, here is my life. But in this case, I'm going to test you and I'm going to see how much I can hold on to and still, you know, trust you with some of the other. It doesn't work like that. God wants all of us. We heard that from Dr. Qureshi last week. He invites us to a life of total surrender and that there's nothing better. And Satan will test us. He will say, who's in control? Are you in control? Does God really mean this? Yes, he does. He means it because he wants you to have the greatest life you could possibly have for now and for all eternity. And he wants you to bring other people with you. You heard Doug talking. Doug's heart is to bring people to know Jesus. Who better to live and to study and to work with students than somebody that wants to point them to Jesus Christ. But there will be temptations to take shortcuts. And that was the question before Jesus. You're going to do it God's way or your way? In the first one, of course God would be enough to sustain him. But sometimes we doubt that. Sometimes we question that. In this one, of course God's ways are better than our ways. But there are times when we begin to question that. When we begin to say, really? And then third, Jesus is tempted again. And this time it's all about pride and power. And these ones, man, we can understand this today, can't we? Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain. So we've, we keep going up in distance. And, and he took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. Look around. I don't know which mountain this was, but look, this could all be yours. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. There was a TV show that I saw a few years ago where a man, a, a, an attorney was being recruited. And... I don't know if this is how it works in the legal world or not, but they brought him out. They fed him the most expensive steak they could possibly find. They took him on a lobster dinner. They let him ride around in limousines. They did all these things to make it sound great. And they said, you know, we want to change the world too. We're just going to do it a little different way. And then in the end, he found out he was defending and supporting people that were just torturing others and doing horrible things to the environment, everything he thought he was against. But he'd gotten so dazzled by the wealth and by the power and by the importance of having a big, high-powered job that he lost sight of what was truly important. He lost sight of what he'd said mattered to him. And that was, in this guy's case, taking care of the little guy. And instead, the money, the power, the prestige began again to distract him from what he felt was right. He could do the same for us. Is there anything wrong with a promotion? Is there anything wrong with being wealthy? Absolutely not. You are expected by God to do your very best with the skills, resources, and vocation he has given you. He expects you to be excellent in those things. He expects you to do it all for his glory. So whether you make a very little money or so much that you don't even know how much is there, God expects you to do your best with that and in all of it to glorify him. But here, Jesus is tempted with pride and power. Look at me. I'm the king of the world. You think of the Titanic. You know, hanging over the side. 
We're not meant to be kings of our world. We're meant to be servants, worshiping the true king. But yet sometimes we forget that Jesus was tempted just like we are. And if you think about it, if you look at the ways that Satan tempted Jesus, those run true with us today. If you go back and the first one you saw was the idea of identity. Who am I? Sometimes we wrestle with that and we can make decisions based on that. Uh, You know, college students often wrestle with that and can get themselves into all sorts of situations. Young adults do the same. They can begin to try to take shortcuts to get to where they think they want to go instead of following the path that the Lord set before them. And we think about material needs and we know that as I already quoted, that my God shall supply all my needs. But look, it's right in front of me. The lust is so great. The desire is so great. I have to have it now. We can relate to that. And you look at the idea of control, and it is so counterintuitive for us in today's world to say someone else should have control of our life. And so we begin to try to find ways to maintain control and say, if we're in Christ, we still love Jesus, but we're just going to hang on to this bit. And so we circle back and we grab just a little bit. God, you don't need control of this. I've got this one. And that can come in our finances. It can come in our diets. It can come in our relationship and how we deal with our family, our friends, our spouse, our coworkers. Who's in control? Just as Jesus was questioned. And then what would we do to get to the top? You want to know a secret? In Christ, you're already at the top. We don't often understand that. That we have been adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High God, the only true God. There is nothing better. You will find nothing else anywhere close to being as great as following Jesus Christ. There is simply nothing better. Yes, it will mean sacrifice, but there is great joy in the sacrifice. Even Jesus, who for the joy counted before him, went to the cross for us. He did it joyfully. I don't get that. I was up throwing up all last night and there was no joy in my body. I was miserable. But in that, I got to pray extra because I was awake and I wasn't happy about that. But there is joy in the journey knowing that God's word is as true today as it was 2,000 years ago and will be for all of eternity. Satan wants us to believe that we need to control our lives and we need to take power. But we already have the greatest and most powerful work present in our life. And that is the work of God through his son, Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit. That is why we are here. So when that temptation comes, we've got one who is greater, one who understands. So how did Jesus defeat the evil forces of temptation? Well, let's go back. The first thing you need to see is that Jesus was led by the Spirit. Right away, if you go back a few more verses, you realize that he came out of the water You heard the voice from heaven saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. And then the next bit, you saw the dove flying off, representative of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was full of the Spirit. And Jesus was now led by the Spirit, even if it meant into difficult times. Jesus tells us at the end of his earthly ministry, John 16, he said, in this world, you will have trouble. Take heart. I have overcome the world. You want to battle temptation? Stand firm on Jesus Christ because he's overcome the world. Sin has lost its sting. 
Or sin has lost its power. Death has lost its sting. God, through Jesus Christ, is all we need. And so we know that we are to be led by the Spirit. If you've accepted Jesus Christ in your Lord and Savior, He has given you His Spirit to guide you to convict you of sin, to keep you from falling into temptation. Jesus prayed for his disciples. He told them, pray that you won't fall into temptation. The Holy Spirit will guide us in that and we will receive power. That's through the Holy Spirit. We've got to say, Lord, here I am. Fill me. Be being filled by the Spirit. And how do we do that? Well, it comes to spending time with him. It comes with ordering our lives in such a way that every bit of our physical, emotional, and spiritual being know that our lives are hid in Christ. Jesus fasted for 40 days. Do we fast for a meal? Do we take 15 minutes in the morning to spend time in the word of God and prayer? Or do we get too distracted doing other things? Again, that's a temptation. There's always something more urgent than that which is truly important. Those of you that went through 2-7, remember that, the urgent and the important. Will we choose the important over the urgent? Yes, your kids may be screaming bloody murder because they want milk right now. They could wait while you finish with the Lord. And you know what, as, as Doug mentioned, what a powerful testimony we're teaching them that your relationship with the Lord is more important than your relationship with your child. They need to see that. They need to know that. Your time with the Lord is a wonderful way to make sure you've said, Spirit, guide me today. But that's not all Jesus did. As you look, Jesus lived the word. And back when we were going through Deuteronomy, if you remember, all of Jesus' allusions or scripture references come from Deuteronomy 6 through 8. And it's amazing. Just three chapters in the Bible give Jesus all the battle and ammunition he needed. So first, when he was challenged first, he says, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's a double whammy right there. First, that means God is enough. Just as Jesus teaches us, when, and we'll get to this more when we talk about worry in a couple of weeks But just as we learn that God's going to take care of us just as he clothes the flowers of the field and feeds the birds of the air, he's got us in his hand. He will look after us. But second, we also know that his word is sustenance. The very words of God are there to sustain us. In other words, God's way is sufficient. God is sufficient to meet all of our needs. Second, you see, Jesus answered him. It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to your test. Don't keep trying to take from him what's already his. Don't test him saying, how much can I get away with it? A couple weeks ago, we asked about tithing. And I said that a lot of people ask, well, do I have to tithe my net or my gross? Do I have to do it this? And what's the exact percentage? If we're led by the Spirit, I promise you the Lord will guide you. The wrong question is, how much can I keep for myself? The right question is, Lord, how can you use all of it and still take care of me? And then we step back and we watch him at work. And then finally, Jesus says, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You are amazing people. I am honored to get to know all of you. 
and, and I don't know all of you as well as I'd like to, but hopefully over time that can happen. But none of you are so amazing that I should start worshiping you. And you know what? Please, please, please don't hold me in any high regard at all. Hold the word of God in high regard. Hold the will of God in high regard. I'm just a funny looking short little American guy. God is amazing. God can sustain us even when the biggest trials come, even when the greatest temptation come. Mike can't sustain you. God can. Is it good to have spiritual friends? Absolutely. You need them. But remember, it's our relationship with the Lord that matters first, not with anyone else. We worship the Lord our God in our lives. Romans 12, remember that one? Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Jesus lived the word and knew how to apply it, even the most difficult situations. Go ahead and think with me for just a moment. What's the hungriest you've ever been? Don't answer out loud because that would be loud. And then think about how functional you were, right? The hungrier you become, the less coherent you become, correct? We start to become a little lethargic. We start to slur our words sometimes. We start to get slower and less sharp because we don't have the nutrients and the right things in our body. Jesus, no doubt, sustained by the Lord, was still hungry. And though he took on the flesh of a man, knew exactly what God's word said and knew how to apply it, even in the most difficult, hunger-paying time of his life. He was starving, and he still knew that it was better to wait on the Lord. It was better to wait on God's timing than it was to do that wonderful thing that looked right in front of him. Could he have turned the rock into food? Absolutely. Could he have jumped off the wall? No problem. Could he have said yes to Satan and then enjoyed the glory then instead of the glory that's coming to him later? Yeah. But Jesus knew something we all need to learn in our fight against temptation. What's right in front of us isn't nearly as good as to the eternity that we find in Christ Jesus. His will is always better. Always. So how do we fight it? Just a few things to look through. Because guess what? You're going to go to work in a couple of days. You got uh, tomorrow off as well. And when you get to work, new temptations will come. In whatever form that might find, you will be tempted. Whether it's to cheat, to lie, to, to steal, to sleep, uh, to be rude, to be angry, to hold grudges. I mean, the list is long. There are many ways you can be tempted. So how can we fight temptation? Well, first, just as Satan asked Jesus, if you are the son of God, know whose you are. It's very important right there. Notice I didn't say know who you are. I want you to know whose you are. You are God's child. You are a son or daughter of the Most High God for those that have believed that Jesus Christ is the only way. You're his. Of course he will take care of you. When Satan comes, when temptation comes, remind yourself over and over, I am yours, Lord, not his. Because it is a battle for your soul. Don't mistake me. And we have to know for sure. Just That's why we did the identity series. We have to know, I am in Christ. I am a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Second Corinthians 5.17. 
But what's even better is when we know we are Christ Jesus, we know that he can sympathize with us. We know he survived far greater than what we have to, and he came out sinless. We know he can handle our temptation. Listen to Hebrews 4. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. And you know what it says next? Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus has been through it and he survived and he understood. In the early 90s, there was a famous rap duo called DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. Anybody hear of them? A couple of you, you've all heard of the Fresh Prince because his name now is Will Smith. But before he was famous as a famous movie actor, he was the sidekick of a rapper named DJ Jazzy Jeff. And they sang a famous song that was a huge hit to teenagers all over the world and became our rallying cry. Parents just don't understand. And it went through that mom bought me clothes that were from 1964. And instead of Adidas, they bought me zips. I remember most of the words, so I'm not going to quote them, and nor am I going to rap. But the idea was parents just don't understand what it's like to be a teenager, and it's poor me. Jesus does. He has been through all forms of temptation and came out sinless and can help us in our time of need. And because of what Jesus does for us, we are able to approach the throne of grace with confidence. Whose are you? If you've believed in Jesus Christ, you're his. And he will help you in your time of need. He's not going to do it for you. He loves you too much to do that. Second, and we've talked about this already, live by the Spirit. We will have problems. Struggles will come. That's reality. I'm not, I'm not up here able to say that it's always going to be easy, but I can say that you will always find joy in the journey if your life is hidden in Christ. But there's another thing. Romans 8 tells us that we, however, are not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. Isn't that amazing? We are controlled by the Spirit. In other words, it's not our fight. When that temptation comes, when that lust comes, when that hunger for whatever you think you need more than God comes, the Spirit can guide you and will guide you in that time. We can live by the Spirit just as Jesus did. It we're not on our own. That's amazing to me to think about. I am not on my own. I told you I got sick last night and I was miserable. And, you know, men typically deal with sickness in a certain way. We wallow in self-pity. We are wimps. Correct, wives? Yes. Every wife in the room seems to be shaking their head. Men hate getting sick. And when we do, we're nothing but a little baby. It's why my wife often tells, uh, tells people she has four children. There you go. You, you caught that one. Good. And last night I was sitting in, in the toilet just, just trying to rest. And all of a sudden I hear Melissa come in. She likes her sleep. And the last thing she wanted was to take care of me. But I hear her come in and say, what can I do? How can I help? She walked through the discomfort with me and I was so grateful for that, even though it didn't help at all. It helped my soul. 
At least I knew I wasn't alone. At least I knew someone cared. We have a far greater advocate with us all the time through Jesus Christ and the giving of the Holy Spirit. He walks with us always. He knows what we go through and he's there with us to say, let me help. Whatever you're going through, I'm here. I will help you. Give me your life and I'll walk you through this. And then finally, we got to live his word. It's no good just to know what God's word says. Many of you have gone through programs like Awana that are wonderful, but I hope you haven't just learned all the verses of Awana because Awana is amazing and I believe in it firmly because of the wonderful truth of God that you put in your heart. But we have to learn how to apply that to all circumstances of our life. For me, you want to know how I start fighting temptation when a thought comes that I need to take captive? Say it with me. Assurance of victory. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. You know what that verse teaches me every time I struggle and I have to say it? One, I'm not that special. Everybody's going through stuff. No temptation has seized me except what is common to man. In other words, man is tempted. But what I love is there will always be a way out through God. And that way is Jesus Christ, life by the Spirit. You see, when we know, we know the Word, allowing us to know who we are, allowing us to live by the Spirit, and it's a cycle that helps us to battle the temptations that come every day of our lives. You want to live a free life? It's a divine paradox. Give your life away and you will be free. You'll still be tempted, but you'll find that it is far easier to say no to temptation, to say no to Satan himself. When you look back at the life of Jesus and said, he gets it. He's already lived through this. I can follow him. I can follow his example. So for us today, how do we respond? Well, when temptation comes, and it will, whether it comes when your spouse says something you don't like and you are tempted to say the wrong thing back, don't. Or whether it's at work or at friends and families, wherever that temptation comes on the internet, know whose you are. Are you a child of God? Yes. If so, live by the Spirit. He's with you every step of the way. And know his word. It doesn't come through osmosis. I'm sorry. You can't put it under your pillow and miraculously know it all. You have to spend time in his word and do it and then talk about it. Let other people walk along with you. I was telling Melissa this morning, I didn't know why I got sick because I was rested. I had Chinese New Year. It was great. And she said, I think it's spiritual. Spiritual attacks can come in all different forms. In those times, do we know whose we are? Will we live by the Spirit? And will we know and live out His Word? Martin Luther said it like this, and I close with this. Martin Luther was asked how he overcame the devil. And if you don't know who Martin Luther was, uh, he was kind of the founder of the Reformation, uh, a tremendous giant in evangelicalism. He wasn't perfect. He had lots of very mistaken views about certain things, but he was an amazing man in many other ways. And listen to what he says about overcoming the devil. He replied this, well, when he comes knocking upon the door of my heart and asks who lives here, the dear Lord Jesus goes to the door and says, Martin Luther used to live here, but he's moved out. 
Now I live here. When Christ fills our lives, Satan has no entrance. (laughs) You ever think about it like that? If our lives are all the Lord's, if we've invited Jesus into our heart, he's got us. We're his. Satan has no way in because we are protected by the Lord. Let's pray. God, I ask that we would fight temptation, that we would take up the sword of the Spirit, that we would be bound with the feet of readiness and that we would use your word to fight off anything that comes, that we would live by the Spirit. Lord, make us a people that live victoriously over any temptation that comes because our lives are hidden in you because we know we're yours. In your name I pray, amen.